Is my sound good? Oh, these levels are prime, dude. I was actually thinking about this today in prayer of this moment of checking mics. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's how I know we're back. We're back, we're baby. We're back, baby. We're back. You know, let me close and the door. better than ever. In case people hear our conversations and they like tell everyone what we're talking about before oh. it goes out. People do that. Spoilers. Like, what are they talking about this week? This is our intellectual property. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So... So how do you start the a new scuttlebutt? season? What is that? How do you do that? What season are we on? This is four. Four. Ooh. I don't know, just some kind of boring updates or whatever. Like, what have we been up to? <laughs> <laughs> you want to start? Yeah, Brian? please, lead us off. So I finished my STL thesis this summer. Uh, it's still kind of hanging in the balance. It needs to be officially rubber stamped, but <clears throat> my advisor approved it giving me corrections which i made and blah 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 mm-hmm. so i'm pretty much free of that now uh which also means i'm free of you people for the most part <laughs> this place mundelein seminary but it is good to be back here gosh just driving in even like getting north of the exit to my parents house which is now as far north as i normally ever go to come up to the seminary is like whoa i'm gonna be at mundelein soon and there's gonna be seminarians there and i don't know it just was a cool feeling sort of reminiscing about coming back to seminary after the summer and everything like that but glad to be a priest because now um our school year started which kind of i I mean i'm sure you guys know this that the school year continues to kind of be Mm -hmm. uh, i don't know the like the measure the guidepost of when things are like rcia normally starts at the in september and um all parish programs kind of follow the school year. Plus, we have a school, so the kids are back and everything. So it's just been a lot more lively. The summer I spent uh, either going on vacation or reading books and um, sort of thinking, praying about ideas of what the parish needs, what gifts I have to give, and how all I'm going to do that. And it's starting to take a little bit more shape now, which is really exciting. Um, and that's about it. I mean, I'm just pumped to evangelize to get out there and and meet people give people opportunities to encounter christ um and reading the foreman intentional disciples book and now this other one divine renovation which i heard about on another podcast and am digging as well uh just it's like i don't know putting such a fine point on exactly what i you know, when you read something and you're like, this is already what I thought, but I really needed to hear this. Because um, it just crystallizes everything of like, yes, you're describing the situation exactly as it is, as, how, as I've observed it. Her thing is like, most Catholics are sacramentalized and a very slim percentage of them are evangelized. And discipleship is the word she uses over and over again. And it's almost like, you know, I'd like just a 50 word definition or something like that, or even less of what that means, intentional disciple. But, uh, you know, you definitely know it when you see it. And and 
her sort of the archetype of discipleship is Peter dropping his nets. And I think I've just been meditating on that. And then this feast of Bartholomew the other day with Nathaniel encountering Jesus for the first time, just imagining what those guys saw in him, you know, because, you know, I've met Jesus and talked to him regularly and, and live for him. But you still, even as someone who's made radical choices for him, he can like fade into like a friend you, you write to once in a while, like you text, but you don't, you kind of forget like what they look like or what, what it was that initially attracted you to this person. And just praying with those uh, passages lately, like putting myself in those guys' shoes, like what they must have seen in him, uh, the kind of goodness that they would have seen to be able to put that much trust, to just say like, whatever, wherever you're going, I'm just going there. Hmm. Oh, yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? It was one of my favorite parts about IPF, so this is a good segue to fill in what I did for the summer, which is IPF. But like what you're talking about is being a pastor and not having a results-based mindset mm-hmm. to everything that you do in the parish. Like, What are our numbers? How many people are going through RCIA? How did you do on your exam about you know the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit and things like that, which are all good, mm-hmm. but that's not at the heart of it. That's like an accidental characteristic of a parish who actually has disciples. Right. Um, and so the, I think it's way, there's a lot more freedom when you live in the relationship reality of Jesus Christ. So like when people actually meet him and they grow into a relationship, then all this stuff happens. Right. And you're not on to make all that stuff happen, but you are on to introduce Jesus to them. Because mm-hmm. like what you said, like, yeah, I write to him, I text him. I, you eat him, like we actually eat him, which mm-hmm. is mind-blowing. Um, <laughs> and so it, you're not on to make all this stuff happen, right. which is great, because you're just on to foster your own relationship, and hopefully that influences other people. Right. Um, yeah, so I did IPF, started the summer in Peru, went to a wedding in Louisiana, and then went to IPF for nine weeks, and then was home for a week. Uh, for an Atlanta retreat, and then I was actually out in Bosnia and Croatia, which was unreal. It was like an unbelievable experience. Uh, visited Medjugorje, um, which we were doing the whole time, like alleged Marian apparition, and it was really beautiful. You know, I don't, I don't have a theological or ecclesial opinion on it. My personal experience was very, very good. And then one of the guys I was with is a priest in Boston. And his father died in the Civil War in Bosnia uh, when he was really young. And so he all has family, his family all throughout the former Yugoslavia. So we traveled Croatia and Bosnia and um, was celebrating mass like all over the place. And it's a very, Croatia is like the second most Catholic country in the world. And Next so, to what? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I My father told me that before I left and. It's well, that's a question beggar. It's the second most Catholic country like, in the world. That's true. I would say I always heard Brazil is number one. Oh, but I've also heard Brazil is pretty heavily Protestant now. So I'm not. Hmm. I, I I'm not sure. Well, see, there's your metric thing again. Like how you know how many people are Catholic? Well, how do you decide that? How many people are baptized Catholic? Yeah, that's Sherry Waddell's whole point is yeah. that that doesn't. It means something. You can't say it means nothing. 
But what she's saying, I think one of her most compelling points is something she borrowed from JP2, which is that all of this baptismal grace is being wasted because people are sacramentalized but not evangelized, meaning they have the power of the Holy Spirit in them in a sacramental way, which is real, but have no personal connection to Jesus. Uh, and therefore, what the Holy Spirit is for in driving you into the heart of Jesus and into that kind of love which costs you everything and and gives you access to infinite riches is totally wasted. It's made null and void because, um, not that it can't be tapped into once the encounter happens, but until someone makes a decision, it's like, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many people are cultural Catholics that like really they trust the church. They trust me as a priest and I meet them and, um, but haven't been to church in years and don't see a problem with it. And then will say to me stuff like, oh yeah, I really believe in God, you know, like especially hard times in my life. I've really gone to him and, and I have so much faith and, you know, I don't want it for a minute to cast aspersions on, on these people, but it's like, it's a little bit like your life of health, your bodily fitness. You can't just say you're into fitness and then like never exercise and eat whatever food you want to eat. You know, there's such a thing as being uh, faithful, you know, and you can't just say, well, I have faith, like, oh, I am fit, but I just don't think I need to like join organized fitness, you know, like a gym or something and have some people tell me like, what exercises are good for me? Like, that's a personal decision, you know? My fitness is, like, a very personal thing, and I don't really like sharing about it. And it's like, no, of course. Well, we, we take for granted that your body has certain requirements and that not just any food is good for it and not just any kind of exercise won't injure it. Well, what about your spirit? You know, it's the exact same thing. Um, and so, I don't know. It's like meeting people where they're at in a way that, is intentional about like listening to where on uh, what stage they're at do they just trust you do they are they curious are they like oh cool i met a priest you know <laughs> i can't i went to my cousin's wedding and i just take for granted that if i get on the dance floor i'm going to get comments like i mean i could almost wager a decent amount of money and be comfortable that someone will say something like Oh, I guess I get to check this off my bucket list. <laughs> Dance with the priest. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I'm such a loser and I'm an idiot and I can't do anything. And I, <laughs> you know, like they just there's just no sense that being a disciple doesn't make you an absolute weirdo. And Sherry Waddell's point, which I think is right on, is that this is normal Christianity. Hmm. And it's what normal Christians, in every sense of that word, do they wake up in the morning they offer their entire life their entire self to christ and that doesn't make you look like uh you've completely rejected the world and hate people and all, all these w ways we get colored and so i think like just dispelling that fear from people will will go a long way relax so what what kept coming to mind and it's probably because i'm just fresh out of ipf Ring the we read the wellspring of worship by Corbone, mm -hmm. and he talks about it like very very beginning, you know the wellspring that is within, uh, 
you go to it once, you know, you have these sacraments, the wellspring is established within you, the blessed Trinity is dwelling within your heart, and then you make little cisterns, I think is what he says on the side, and you try to draw life from these places that don't offer life, you know, mm-hmm. they they run out. And so it's like what you said of just keeping your dependence constantly, that constant conversion, that constantly going back to the, the actual well that's going to give you life. It's kind of scary sometimes because you have to drop your nets. You have to drop your livelihood at times. Um, but that's just, that's kind of what kept coming back to me, but because it is within. And that was one thing that I noticed at IPF was, yeah, man, he is super on fire within. And I am constantly as a seminarian who like, you know, I tried very hard to put in my due diligence and it was very clear to me. Like I have a lot of dependence on things that are, without that are mm-hmm. outside of where the wellspring is, you know? Um, and it's, it can be difficult and scary, but it's always rejuvenating. Um, yeah. I mean, you'll well, go, you'll be like text bisque and see like how many people downloaded the episode and that, like just, that's going to give me life. Okay. But that <laughs> actually is the wellspring. <laughs> yeah. So that's a bad analogy. You know, <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. Throw that one out. Yeah. But what, I mean, 30 day, we have two 30 day retreatants here <laughs> You know, so I would imagine that's like the place of all places where you are within drinking from the well mm. perpetually. No, nothing else. Nothing else to satisfy except for the Lord. Rob, shoot. <laughs> yeah. Well, the start of my summer, I, I was a- actually at the parish um, in down in Effingham, which was great. So I did that for a month and then went out to Omaha. Isn't there a Ben Fold song about Effingham? I don't know. Because he thought it was a funny name for a town. <laughs> Definitely, definitely could Effing be. Effingham. Effingham. Yep. Um, Go on. Anyway, it was it was a good place. If you ever, you know, South Central Illinois, check it out. Um, I'm there often. Yeah, yeah. Um, then headed out to Omaha. Well, I did have another little niece, which was awesome, Anna Anna Therese. So that was super Congratulations. exciting. Thank you. So I got to be home when she was born, which was great. And then, man, the 30 day. It was a, I mean, it was a complete just life changer for, for me. Um, I mean, literally to the point of just like so many different levels of grace and individual graces that would come through. Um, and going into it, I, a comment that really struck me on a couple of the prep days they had us out there for, um, one of the, the deacon that was like, you know, talking He's, you know, he asked us, he was like, what's the difference between like how God loves you in a 30 day retreat and every other moment of your life, you know, every other day, every other second of your life. He was like, absolutely nothing. There's, there's no difference in how God loves you. But these exercises like the 30 day, hopefully will open you up to receive, like receive them, drink from the, like, right from the fountain of life at, at least a new, a new level. And so that's kind of what it was. I mean, to to start off, it was just the author that I related to pretty much throughout the whole 30 days a lot was C.S. Lewis, even in like the Chronicles of Narnia in- imagery, because these experiences with God that I had um, like through this prayer, there were times it was like absolutely terrifying because it was like honestly, kind of a self-realization of how dependent I am on 
like things that I shouldn't be and like him wanting to take those um, to like heal me from those. And so, but the whole 30 days I was never bored and it was like the most gentle experience I've ever had in my entire life. I would echo that. Really? Uh, And I said that to so many people. I was never bored. No. Oh, no. Not, I mean, not, and when I say never bored, like, honestly, I I wasn't bored for a minute. I've been bored a ton today. Like, sitting around my room. (laughs) I'm bored right now. I'm super bored right now. (laughs) Offensive, both of you. (laughs) Both of you. (laughs) Out, out. Um, Yeah. So especially Mike's like jabbering. Oh, super bored. (laughs) In my studio right here? Yep. (laughs) Wait, would you just hit on like, just the practicalities of like not what a day by day would look like, but like what is it like just as a human being going through thirty days of silence for an entire month not talking to anybody? Yeah, no, not to, and this isn't like to try to sound vague or like overly pious or anything like that. This is just something that came to me during the retreat of like it's like what I hope death will be. Um, because there is like, there's just this detachment that like comes with it. And after the first couple of days, like you don't feel that as much. Um, but like you just realize pretty quick, like, man, the world's turning and you're not, you're not doing anything in it or for it, you know, like Mm. you're just here praying. And I mean, I told like, you know, my, my friends, um, knew that I was going to be, on this 30 day and my family did and i'll be honest like when i got off i mean it took me like an hour to catch up on like voicemails and text messages i didn't mm-hmm. have that many and it was just kind of like this yeah i mean if if i bite the dust like the world keeps going you know i'm not um absolutely that's anything. a really good point and well, so except for the <clears throat> thousands maybe millions of mourners Oh, yeah. Not to say our listeners wouldn't mm-hmm. mourn hardcore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were kind of thinking of replacing you anyway. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who? Who is it? Tell me. Tell me. Who is it? Austin Quick. Yep. Austin Quick? Austin. Oh, the doctor. Austin Quick. Or Mark Wahlberg. If Mark Wahlberg joined Three Dogs North, I would step down. I would step down. Why don't we just have him just do a solo podcast? And call it Three Dogs North. Mm-hmm. Mark? If you're listening... Which we know you are. <laughs> You've been called out. <laughs> nice, dude. Yep. Nice. Um, but at the same time, so like with that, um, I felt like closer to my family, my friends than, um, and that was like a very felt thing, you know, it wasn't, I never really like even had words to it, but um, of just like. Yeah, like a sense of peace just to just to be there. Um and I mean practically, yeah, your days for a couple weeks of it you do like four holy hours a day, for a couple weeks of it you do five holy hours a day. And um there was like a solid week in it. I got I got pretty sick. And so I mean literally I would get up in the morning. I would go um I would go to spiritual direction and then I would go right from there to mass and then I would go back and like eat a quick lunch and then I would just crash in my room because I'd be exhausted because I just felt so awful. So I'd sleep for like an hour or two. Would you have a cold or something? Yeah, real bad summer cold. I, I was miserable for a few days. So literally like there was like a week there where all I had time to do were like 
my holy hours and journal. And that was, that was it. I would do like a rosary walk in the evening. Um, and that's kind of like how those were like in the early days. So that's when my routine got started in it. And like, that was pretty much it. So literally every day I would get up, I would go to spiritual direction. And in the five holy hour days, I would do a holy hour in the morning before that. And then <clears throat> do spiritual direction mass. And then just my holy hours. And I would journal after each one. And then about like 10 o'clock, I'd be, I would go to bed and that would be, that would be it. So I know it sounds crazy to say like I wasn't bored, but I mean, I mean that sincerely, not a minute on it was I bored. Um, and you just, for me, like in that, in the actual exercises themselves, like you realize and, and pretty quick, like you just get into this rhythm of it. Like this is reality that like I'm experiencing now because like all of a sudden um, like that notion of God is on our side. I've never experienced in, in that way. Cause it was, it was never also with that, like never being bored. There was never any like navel gazing or digging around in myself to try to like stir up stuff or fix myself or anything. Like you just got time like with Jesus in, in these days. Um, and so that's a, I guess a little bit of like the, the structure of it. And then I think, you know, even from talking to other guys that have done it, like individual retreats and graces for a guy, every guy is different or, or every person, um, like on the retreat is different. So you get to go through like, like the entire life of, of Christ in, in the second week. And, um, like you just get to know him as an, like your most intimate friend. And, um, and then, so like Holy week was really intense because everything is for, at least for me was like, was for my sin. And I'd kind of known that before, like in my head, but I never experienced it like at the level of being at the level of heart here. Um, and so the, the kind of the climax of the retreat for me, the biggest, the biggest grace was this distinction when you get to experience the resurrection after like truly dying with him in Holy Week. So like I was in the tomb with him. So everything like hinges on the resurrection, everything. And again, I could have played lip service to that before, but never experienced it like this. Um, but the whole climax of the retreat for me was this distinction that there's a difference between Lazarus and Jesus. And so before, like I had felt certain times in prayer, which were beautiful, like huge graces where I had felt like Jesus kind of rising, raising me from the dead, whether it be through whatever, like cool conversion moments and things like that, like sins or, or whatever, just like an experience of his love in some capacity that like the feeling was like being pulled out of the tomb. But this, like, again, through our baptism, like, we get to experience the actual resurrection um, in our being. And for that, like, that changed everything. Actually, like, living that in this in this prayer. Um, so it's like a drama that unfolds, I guess. That, and maybe that's why, like, you're just not, you're just not bored. Because all of a sudden, like, it's the greatest, you know, it's the greatest story 
the world has ever known, but like you get to go and truly live it. And, you know, I don't, I'm not um, sold at all that like you have to do a 30 day retreat to receive that. Like God can do whatever capacity he wants to with each person. But, um, but for me, and I, th- I think most people that have done the 30 day, like it's a very just like blessed time um, in it. And so kind of the last thing there's the other huge grace for me is I, I just assumed the exercises would end like the 30th day would be the resurrection, but it's not, you have like, I had like three or four days with like getting to be with Jesus after the resurrection and, you know, see Thomas like uh, put his finger in his side and see Jesus like, you know, cooking breakfast for the disciples and like encouraging these men that had just betrayed their friend and um and even even with peter i had some really cool i I felt very close to peter in it of like he never in all like peter's betrayal anything like jesus never saw peter for like anything what he knew he could be so like the whole time jesus or peter denies jesus three times even then jesus could only see his rock like his pope and so like Jesus like kind of breathing life back into Peter after his betrayal. Um, and that was one of the, I think it was the 30th day. Actually, I was praying with acts of the apostles. I think it was chapter three where Jesus or Peter and John go to the temple and they see the lame man. And it's the, it's the great line of like, I offer you no silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he does. And I had never noticed this before, but before that line, Peter tells the man to look at us. That's his line. He says, look at us. And then he says to rise and walk. Hmm. And so that just, again, like the experience of the resurrection that like we, we pay lip service to it all the time that like we have to see Christ in others. Um, and like they can see Christ in us. Um, but that that means something and like that was the experience of um hopefully like you know god will really transform our lives this isn't uh like he will transform our very being and like hopefully someday we can tell people be imitators of me as i am of christ um so that's like the hope and again i i didn't have that language before but it just gives you like when you realize that you know how much God is on your side, what Jesus actually wants to do with your fallen humanity. Um, that's, that's the hope anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's some nugs in there, dude. Straight, <laughs> straight nugs. <laughs> that's the thoughts. dude. Nugs. Some nugs. Yeah. In <laughs> I was thinking about what you were saying about, uh, it being what you hope dying is like dying or death or both. Both. Um, they kind of fleshed out for me a little bit of, it was again, Deacon Keating talking about, you know, he said saint, when a saint dies, it's very boring um, because he's already dead. Mm. And, and so he said, literally it's just a continuation of life. Lewis, C.S. Lewis talks about that of like this life right now, what we're in, it is the start of heaven or it is the start of hell, Mm. but it's not, you know, the notion that like heaven is, 
like so far away and that's true in some time like we're waiting we're still we're still waiting for like the fullness of of god even the saints are waiting like in Mm -hmm. heaven for the full resurrection of the body um like still hoping and just that grace of a saint to always ask for more like anything god keeps just drilling you with this grace and like you just ask for more like that's the beauty of joy like true joy is that you want more of it even when you're full Mm -hmm. um and so i would say i mean it was just it's what i hope like death itself will be like right yeah man well i went on uh backpacking vacation with the bro dudes in wyoming and blaha i don't know we were about to say mass on this rock uh by this mountain lake that was at like nine thousand feet above sea level and we'd been camping there for a couple days and just surrounded with beauty and cut off from all cell phone yeah. civilization stuff and he just he just started musing i think this was from a first things article he read but he said you know william james said when they asked him about whether he believed in the immortality of the soul that uh he used to have his doubts, but as he gets older, he's more and more convinced. And they said, you know, isn't that just because you're afraid of dying or or whatever? And he said, no, it's because now that I'm old, I'm just now learning how to live. Uh, the implication being, I guess it wouldn't make sense to just, just now kind of arrive at the point of life and understanding it. Yeah. Or some approximation of it and then have it just end. Mm-hmm. Um, but this story kept popping up in my head. It's, it's not a particularly dramatic one, but I uh, got a text the other day from a doctor who is a good Catholic guy, and he, he sometimes does rounds over at the hospital right across from our parish. And he said, Sister so-and-so, is uh, she's just had a stroke, a really bad stroke, and could you come anoint her? And I said, I'll be right over. Well, I've been saying Mass for these sisters, not a lot, but uh, once I got down there full-time in July... Um, I got this call from the sister who kind of runs this little house and has six elderly sisters. And I mean, mm-hmm. elderly, you know, 90 is probably the median age, uh, except for this one kind of 60 something year old sister who takes care of them. And, uh, used to, it's a sad story, which, you know, has been iterated all over our country, which mm-hmm. is aging orders that used to be strong you know, teachers, nurses, et cetera, et cetera that are now basically just nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went and said mass for a couple who was having their wedding anniversary, 60th wedding anniversary. And the woman had been taught by these nuns. So she wanted to have it in the convent and they needed a priest. So I went over there. Well, I'd never met any of these nuns. And I said, sister, I'll come say mass here on days. I don't have a morning mass. And, and she's like, Oh really? That would be great. Cause we basically just have to watch EWTN every day. Wow. Um, cause I couldn't get a priest. And, mm-hmm. You know, I understand priests are busy, but I was like, this is not an act of charity. This is an act of justice. These women have given their lives to Christ, mm-hmm. and they deserve to have Mass said because they can't get out. They're all in wheelchairs and everything like that. So I'd only been over there maybe four times, if that. And this sister was in the hospital, and I just I went right over. I was, it was like five minutes between when I got texted and when I was in the room. Uh, and... The doctor was there, and the the younger sister was there, and then sister uh, was in her in the hospital bed in her gown, and she like 
kind of lit up when she when I came in the room. And the other nun and the doctor both were like, whoa. Because I guess it was like a huge contrast from what she looked like before but when mm-hmm. I walked in the room. And they're like, whoa, she really lit up when you came in. And, and she was. She was kind of smiling, even though like half of her face was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. She, you could tell she was smiling. And uh, she just had her eyes open and was smiling the whole time. She couldn't say anything. And we were just kind of talking and... and you know, whenever you get over the hospital, you, you're you're ready for anything, you mm-hmm. know. Usually hard time, sad time, mm-hmm. whatever. But this was like pure joy kind of in mm-hmm. a way. Even though she had just had a severe stroke and recovery was, you know, unlikely considering her age or condition, everything like that. So I get to do the anointing, I pray, and uh, give the other sister a hug. And, and I was telling the... Uh, the sick nun that, you know, I was going to pray for her and I, I was, I wanted to ask her to pray for me. And she said, I will. And it was, you know, obviously strained. It was hard for her to talk, but mm-hmm. she hadn't said anything wow. since she had the stroke. Yeah. And I, she said, I will, meaning she'll pray for me and I believe it. Mm-hmm. And the, the other nun was kind of like crying. And, and I thought to myself, like, just what you said, you know, that, um, First of all, I was very aware of my bearing the presence of Jesus to her mm-hmm. as a priest. Um, and in no way was that colored by any kind of pride that it was because right. I'm such a good guy or, you know, man, I've gone over there and really worked hard to say mass for these sisters four times, you know. Uh, it wasn't like that. Like, I don't think it had anything to do with me. She maybe recognized me as mm-hmm. the priest who'd come over there. But uh, more than anything, I think that this person has just attached themselves utterly to Christ and recognizes him when she sees him. Mm-hmm. And I'd come to give her this this sacrament, and she was happy about that in the midst of a debilitating illness. Yeah, And there was no sense that, like, she was bummed out. She was probably going to die. Like, her body was just breaking down. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was just one more detachment she needed to mm. uh, assent to, which at this point in her life was not even difficult. It didn't appear to be difficult. Yeah. yeah. She was just saying, yeah, Lord, take that too. That's fine. I trust you. Mm-hmm. And man, it it's you sit with that for a while as a young man who is able to go play basketball, lift weights hike up mountains to get it to mountain lakes. And it's like, do I just want to let go of all that right now? Not really. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's clearly possible. And it appears more attractive than the alternative, which is hang on to it with every ounce of your might. Right. And just have God or life or the world rip it from your yeah. unwilling hands. Yeah. Dogs go to heaven. Goats go to hell. Well, so in Omaha, they have, in Creighton, they have a statue, um, and it's of two little kids, and there's like a branch, and it's, and they're barefoot, and it's kind of, it has a southern feel to it. I was, (laughs) I was a bit drawn to it. And, uh, both the kids are reading, and one of the kids is sitting upright, Mm -hmm. and the other kid is laying on his back with his head on his big sibling's lap, I'm assuming, Mm -hmm. or like older friend, 
And his book is titled Joy. I think it's it's either the title or like the page. I of thought it. it was Toy. Oh, is it Toy? Like a toy magazine. Did it say Toy? That's what I thought. Yeah. I thought it said Joy. I don't know. No way. Well, that would that may blow up like one of my huge greatest. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought it said joy. It can I well maybe it does. Go with joy. I, with, I'm super curious to find out now. Stay with joy. But so, well, that it kind of came to me, and even thinking about like what you gave that definition, a characteristic of joy, which I think is is spot on. Of like, you're full, but then you still want more, and there's more to be given. Yeah. Um. But one of the graces that I had, which it sounds like this old, beautiful nun and what we're called to to be as Christians, <clears throat> is joy comes when you can, when you know that you're not, uh, when you're not the center of the world, mm-hmm. that you don't have to hold on to things that are unimportant, that you can kind of just like lay down and receive the good things that the Lord wants to give, um, which I know sounds like really delightful and sounds kind of idealistic. But when you're very grounded, like this sister, she's grounded in the reality that God has, God is taking care of her Hmm. so much that literally her body is falling apart. And it's, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. Like her mind is just focused on something. Her mind and her heart Mm -hmm. are focused on something way more important than that, that it's not like she doesn't care about it, but she's, happier about a a deeper reality that's going on so it's not like a negation we're not you know we're not dualists it's not a negation of the body or a negation like these things are bad but there's a like a a very deep joy that's communicated through our bodies and that's how we receive it um and that's where like throughout all of ipf that was the definition of joy was just like lay there and let the lord take care of you Mm -hmm. and live in that reality that he's way bigger than you. Yeah. And like he's got it taken care of. Yeah. It's a okay, man. That even your bad things, he can turn into really cool things. And even terrible things, like a cross and a dude hanging on it via nails, he can turn into the most incredible thing ever. Um, which again, you have to like let it soak into your bones. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's an experience. That's what it is. But another thing that struck me from your retreat, uh, did you want to say something? I was just saying, did you say he was hanging from a cross via nails? Via. Like like by way of nails? By way I was of just nails. thinking that'd be a sweet band name, via nails. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens like that, yep. you know, as another grace. Well, I, I do. Just let me interject real quick. Uh, th- absolutely. Like this, that definition of joy is, is dope. Uh I have it and I want more of it and it's possible to have more. It's like un, unlike the rest of the pleasures or maybe shall we say happinesses of the world where sure. you, you're like, Oh man, I'm really full of this really good food, but I don't want any more of it. Otherwise oh, yeah. I'm going to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. Except um, for cookie dough. That is infinite. Yeah. Cookie mm-hmm. dough is infinite. <laughs> Great but point. also your thing, <laughs> Mike, about the dependence and just letting God take care of you. And it sounds so fluffy and lame until you experience it. it. And it's absolutely fundamental to the kind of happiness everyone instinctively wants but thinks is impossible. Yeah. And so, like, my thing this year at the school, I've gone around to every classroom and taught them the answer to these three questions. Just as, in, in a way, it's like, it's fundamental theology in in the, the truest sense of, like, what are the conditions for revelation? Um, 
So the question, first question is, who made you? God. They all get that one. Um, so I've taught them the answers to these now, but as I was teaching them, uh, the second question was, uh, why did he make you? And it was interesting. The littlest kids said, because he loves me. The older kids were more like, well, because he wants us to take care of his creation. Two most common answers were because he needs us to take care of the stuff he made. That, I think, was a verbatim answer I got today. Wow. And uh, the other one is um, because he was lonely. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and in a way, they're perfect answers. They're perfect teaching opportunities because God was not lonely. Mm-hmm. He did not need to make us. He didn't even need us to take care of his creation or each other or anything like that. He can do it all by himself. And I said, did anyone, any one of you before God made you ask him to make you? No. He gave you life, didn't he? Why does anyone give you a gift when you don't deserve it, you didn't ask for it? Why would somebody just give you a gift? Because he loves you. Hmm. Get that in their heads. Uh, like, this is the thing I'm just going to rehearse with them over and over and over again. And then the third question is, who told you that? Who taught us that? Who told us that God wasn't lonely? Who, that God didn't need us? That he just wanted us to exist because he loved us. Jesus. St. Thomas Aquinas. Wait. No. <laughs> G- you're right, Jesus. Yeah. Father so, Connor Danstrom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, one person said you. Um, so, like, just get get these things in kids' heads very early. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm brand new to this. But th- these are my things I've been praying about and thinking of and feel like, just go with it, you know? Yeah. Teach these kids. I, I said, you're going to learn so many important things this year. One of the teachers was teaching them about the denouement today like this parts of a story they hadn't even read a book yet in class and they were learning about like rising action and falling action and climax and denouement and i don't even know what those things are (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it goes back to the candyland thing man if we think it's about the denouement it's not it's about learning like how to read and how to be a thinking person it's like algebra honestly i don't ever use it unless some (laughs) kid asks me about algebra other than that it's not about algebra. It's about <laughs> these other things. I said, these are the three most important things. Before you learn anything else, you have to know these because they're about the reason you're here. Yeah. And don't, not just at school, not just in your family. And then I asked them, like, I told them what I was grateful for today from God and asked them to, to tell me some stuff that they were grateful that they were given. Just to get in their heads that you're given everything. Yeah. And get used to thanking God for that. Yeah. Yeah, just like the sheer dependence. You're a creature. Mm-hmm. We are creatures. Sheer dependence mm-hmm. completely through and through. But now the other thing that struck me from one of your graces that I was really blessed to experience and, and really always have is, like you said, even though you're not in contact with your family at all or your friends, like you still feel very close to them and mm-hmm. you're even drawn to them in a way. And... uh I don't. I mean, I think I I would probably root it somewhere in like the reality of desire. But I noticed that throughout my retreat and throughout all of IPF and being away from my family in general, mm-hmm. like I pray for them all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm not around them as much, but it's like my love for them is so it's deeper and deeper. Yeah. And I remember getting out of my eight day and wanting to call my mom and just like telling her really. Like my love for her deepened big time, and mm-hmm. even throughout IPF, um, and it it kind of goes to something Father Murphy said during the retreat is, um, like God gives us these desires, and we're on to 
help cultivate these desires, to be attentive to them, and to help them to grow. So these desires are present so that God's grace can flood them and they can grow into realities, into into real life. And like that's going to God in prayer, you know? Yeah. And these desires to love people. So when you're away from people, you're actually growing closer to them. And it's, especially with evangelization in the parish, I think the desire, the motivation to love the Lord, like people, there's no reason why people would want to know Christ. There's, there's a lack of a desire that we're sparking within people. For some reason, we're, we're kind of missing the boat. So I, I guess what I would, what I wanted to do was like, especially looking at preaching and seeing how Father Barron had affected me throughout this past year, throughout the past three years, mm-hmm. is seeing how he sparked desires within me of like, wow, I really do want to give it all. Or you read a good book or you hear a good priest preach, they spark a desire in you that makes you grow closer in love and makes that love turn into a reality. Mm-hmm. But I guess it like how it does start with that desire, and then you cultivate that in prayer. You cultivate that in the sacraments. But that desire has to be sparked. It has to be realized by the person and then fed by that well. It has to be watered and constantly watered. But like we have zombie. We have zombie people. And I was a zombie person as well. Like, oh, give me the sacraments. Give me whatever, which I needed. And it was good. But then like you hear that. You hear the gospel. You see the guy for the first time. And it's like... <sighs> And it lights your heart up, and then you constantly go and have that fire fed. Um, but it's cool how in retreat, even when you're physically away from people, how that love and prayer draws you way, way closer to them. Yeah. So just, I guess that spiritual reality flourishing into real life with yeah. these, with the people that you're close to. Um, yeah, it's, that was just something that struck me big time during IPF and, and as you were talking there. It's super, I mean, it's just a freeing thing, um, like that reality of being ultimately God's children, you know, to be able to be dependent like that on um, on him. And this notion, too, this came up a lot in my 30-day of, which was very strange. I thought that, like, this came up, but I just, like, kind of looking back over my life, I realized that, like, how much... Like I used to, even the past couple years or whatever, I loved to give people advice Mm. and like, you know, kind of tell them like, okay, this is what you need to do, you know, to get, get the life, get the life on track. And, and it's uh, always just whatever we did. Exactly. You have to do exactly what I did. (laughs) Which is, yeah, that is a hundred percent true. But there was like this distinction that just kind of became so clear. It's like, Lord, I don't. I don't ever want to be a life coach of like, because I just don't have my stuff together. Man. Mm-hmm. And um, I get, I think that's one of the other things. If you know, like nothing ever before the 30 day convinced me of like just how much of a mess I am mm-hmm. um, on the inside, to be honest. And cause Especially you just, those brutal days or, you know, the desolation. Well, the desolation and honestly, even sometimes in the consolation of just like, like seeing, you know, it's kind of the grace of like seeing where we would be at without God's grace. Mm-hmm. And that's a, 
that's a dark place, man, yeah. you know? And, uh, and you just like, one of the beauties of that retreat is you just get to sit in that. Mm-hmm. Um, because even that, like even that darkness, if like, you know, Jesus is there with you. It's not like, it's not scary. It's not undoable. It's literally an avenue for his grace to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, because he, all of a sudden for me, like he, you know, he loves you there. Um, so there's just this cool notion of like, and I, I'm convinced like this is every Christian. We have a, being a priest is a baller job, you know, because it's the best, it's the best. and it's because all you have to do like is communicate with your life, Jesus to people. That's all you have to do. And it's so easy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it kind of is, honestly. Right. I like, can't tell if you're being sarcastic. <laughs> but, I mean, in the same way, like, I don't know. I'm thinking even, you know, my brother's getting married in a couple months and, like, has just bought a house, just started a new job, all this stuff, like, going on, all these, like, very important responsibilities in that aspect. But, like, mm-hmm. even his life, like, in that capacity, like, the capacity that he's called to, like, is just about communicating and like introducing Jesus to the people he's around, like one day his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, even, you know, thinking about like the emails I think that we did receive over the summer from like people that listen to this podcast and stuff. It's like always the ones that impacted me the most were just the couple that we had that were like very encouraging for me. Cause it's very, um, it's very cool to hear like how these conversations that we have have, helped other people in some way especially since you're not even a fan of the podcast i'm not at all yeah (laughs) i'm not that's true (laughs) yeah so um but it was like very consistently through those emails there was this notion of like their desire to like yeah just find that like deep peace in their own heart like Mm -hmm. find christ in their in their own being in their own life um and it was just like this notion and it's you know, it's hard to, you know, it's it's so easy to see when it's someone else and it's not you, mm-hmm. but it's like just that desire is God working like in himself, like just you wanting that, like is him working on your own heart. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.